Let's turn for our reading to the book of Exodus. We're reading in chapter 12, the first 30 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour. Being taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the fourteenth day until the evening of the twenty-first day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord 
who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Children can ask some very perceptive questions, can't they? Sometimes some very surprising questions. There have been those occasions in the course of a children's address and a little hand has gone up and you know a question's coming and you look around to see which parents are on the brink of death in the congregation and fear for what this child is going to ask. Sometimes, of course, their comments are even uh, more fearful than their questions. But children's questions can cut right to the heart of the matter, can't they? Uh, they're not inhibited by learning the ways of avoiding a subject. They don't understand the reasons for keeping quiet and not asking uh, that question. If they live a bit longer, uh, they probably will learn all of those things that will stifle questions that adults then don't ask them. And yet sometimes, of course, they ask questions that need to be asked. There's a risk that questions can be embarrassing, but sometimes uh, they can really open up the truth. Uh, and it's surely significant that in the course of the Passover, the old ceremonial that was laid out by the Lord here uh, in Exodus 12 and still practiced, uh, it is a child or the children who ask the meaning of all that's taking place. What does this mean to you? And it cuts right to the heart of what the Passover is about. And the providence of God, we come to consideration of the Passover uh, this evening. So we're looking at Exodus 12 this evening, verses 1 uh, to 30, the Passover instituted. And the first thing uh, that we see, and this will occupy most of our time, this is the very heart uh, of this passage, is a gracious sign. A gracious sign. In the light of the coming of the tenth and final plague, the Lord prepares his people for what will come upon Egypt on that momentous night. The plague will come down upon the Egyptians and as a result Israel will leave Egypt. After 430 years, God is fulfilling his promise. The climax of God's action is reached on that night. And indeed, so decisive and so significant will be God's intervention that night uh, that the entire religious calendar of Israel is going to be reshaped. Their civil, their legal calendar will carry on the same, but the religious calendar is really going to be reset that night as if this is a new beginning for the spiritual life of his people. This month is to be for you the first month. It'll be the month of Abib, uh, and then after the, the exile, uh, they'll call it the month of Nisan. But the whole calendar for the spiritual life of Israel is recalibrated, so significant 
is what is going to happen in Egypt that night. But how can Israel face this terrible night? I might be inclined to say, well, surely this isn't something that matters to Israel. It only concerns the Egyptians. But the truth of the matter is there is going to be a death in every household in Egypt. In every household. Not just among the Egyptians. There will be a death in every household. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. God says, chapter 11 and verse 5. So what about the Israelites? How can they face this final plague? There will be a death in their homes as well. And the answer is that the Lord provides. The Lord provides the means for his people to pass through what he is bringing upon Egypt. There will be a death in every household without exception. But the Lord provides for the households of the Israelites a substitute that will die in the place of the Israelite firstborn. They are as liable to the judgment of God. They're no more righteous than the Egyptians are. And there'll be a death in each of their households too. But God provides a substitute to die in the place of those who would have died. The Lord provides. And Israel that night have a wonderful demonstration of the kind of God they serve. A God who provides a substitute so that his people are delivered from judgment. The Lord says each man uh, is to take a lamb or it could be a goat for his family. Every household is to be protected. If an Israelite household didn't follow what the Lord prescribes here, then the firstborn in that household will also die. And so a substitute's required. Or they will also be wailing with the Egyptians. The Lord provides precisely what is needed. Uh, even if a household's too small uh, for its own lamb, verse 4, they can share with their neighbours Every household will be protected on the night when the final plague is poured out upon the land of Egypt. And there will be death in every household. Among the Egyptians, it will be the death of the firstborn. In the households of the Israelites, it will be the death of the substitute. Notice how the death of the, the lamb or the, the kid is described in verse 27, the Passover sacrifice. And we need to understand that this is a sacrifice to the Lord. It is not simply killing an animal for a meal. It is very specifically described as a sacrifice. 
and it is wholly dedicated to the Lord. That's the point of the roasting of the lamb and the burning of any leftovers the next morning. It's not to be boiled, not to be treated in any other way. It is to be roasted in fire. And when the the mosaic uh, system is brought into force uh, at Sinai, the sacrifices to the Lord, particularly the sin offering, will be burnt. It is fire that is necessary. And that's what you see in the night of the Passover. The lamb must be roasted in fire. It is symbolic. It is significant. And the lamb is a sacrifice. It is an offering that's prescribed by the Lord and it's accepted by the Lord. Accepted in the place of the Israelite firstborn. And if you don't see that, you've missed the whole point of Passover. That the lamb is a substitute for the Israelite firstborn. And he is spared death. Because of what the Lord provides. In his grace and mercy. Why does he do it? It's not that the Israelites were by nature more holy people, more devout people. And once Moses has them out in the wilderness, we'll see what is in the hearts of many of these people. It's not that they're better people. And that God sees these nice people and he decides he'll spare them. But the nasty Egyptians, well, he'll judge them. They all deserve God's judgment. They're all sinners. But God spares the Israelites and provides a substitute because he loves them. He loves them. We look at the Israelites and we think, why does he do that? But he loves them. And we thought about that uh, that this morning as we thought of God demonstrating his love to us while we were still sinners. And you see that Here in the land of Goshen among the Israelites, God demonstrates his love to these people while they are still sinners and don't deserve his blessing. They don't deserve deliverance, but the Lord provides it. And so as the sacrifice is offered before it's roasted, they're told, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. The houses of the Israelites are to be marked with the blood of the substitute. And God says in verse 13, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he goes on, The blood will be a sign for you. It is a sign. It points away from itself. It points to the sacrifice. Ultimately, it points to the Lord, who in his grace has provided this means of deliverance. Grace from start to finish. That's why Israel are delivered. That's why their houses are marked with blood. There is no point marking houses with blood unless this is God's provision for the people. And it is. He loves them and he's showing grace to them. They can do nothing for themselves. They have to depend on the Lord. There is nothing Israel could have devised that would have spared them the judgment of the tenth plague. No matter what plan they'd come up with, it would have been futile. And the plague would have struck their homes 
just like the homes of the Egyptians. They must depend on the Lord. And there's a fascinating phrase that's used in Hebrews 11. You know, a great chapter about the faith of the Old Testament saints. Hebrews 11:28. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. That gets us to the heart of the matter. They respond in faith. That's all they can do. God makes the provision. God gives the substitute. And they respond in faith. And all who respond in faith experienced God's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. They experienced God's salvation from their bondage, sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. The marking of their homes with the blood proclaims they are the Lord's people. It's God's love, God's grace that makes them his people. And the marking of their homes in faith proclaims that they belong to the Lord. Grace from start to finish. But of course, this isn't simply the account of events that took place thousands of years ago that might be of interest if you have a a penchant for history. This is our spiritual history. These are our forefathers in the covenant of God. And the Passover provides for us a foreshadowing of something far greater. This is a deliverance from physical bondage, slavery in Egypt. But there's a greater need for deliverance. And that is true for all of us. We need a greater work of divine deliverance than that which was experienced by the Israelites. For all of us, there's a greater judgment to be faced than the death of the firstborn, terrible as that was. There's a greater judgment. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And that is what our sin earns for each of us. The wages we earn by our rebellion and our disobedience is eternal death. Separation from God for eternity under his wrath. That's a far greater plague that will come upon all those who continue in their sin. Is there hope of deliverance? Yes, there is. And it's the same hope that the Israelites had in that it is God who provides the means. The same God who provided the means of deliverance for the Israelites in Egypt is the God who's provided the means of deliverance from sin and from his wrath and judgment. Our only hope is a substitute who takes our guilt and our punishment. If we are not to bear the wrath of God ourselves, if the plague of judgment isn't to be poured out upon us, It must be poured out on a substitute. Someone who can take our guilt and our punishment. And that's why Paul uses this language in 1 Corinthians 5 
and verse 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There's the substitute. There's the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in Egypt. There we had a, a picture of a substitute who will bring a greater deliverance, and it is Messiah Jesus. It's in him that there's salvation and deliverance from the wrath of God. And so for all those who by faith are sheltering under the blood of the Lamb, there is an exodus. Not an exodus from slavery and political bondage in Egypt, but an exodus from sin. Well, of course, to come back to this again, but it is very significant that on the mountain of transfiguration, when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with Moses and Elijah, we're told that he discussed his exodus that he was going to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. There's all the language, the Passover and the exodus fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's provision. It is God's doing. And all the praise and all the glory are to his name. So in the Passover we have a gracious sign that is filled with the grace of God, the deliverance of the undeserving, and all by the blood of the Lamb of the Substitute. And there's Christ. There's the substitute who takes away the sins of sinners like us. They put their trust in the Lord's provision. And so we're delivered. The wrath of God passes over because it has fallen already in Christ. The cross, he has taken the burden of our sin and our guilt, all the punishment, the death that we have earned. And Christ takes it all. And we are delivered. It truly is a gracious sign, full of God's love to the undeserving, full of God's grace and mercy. Israel deserved none of it, but the Lord is gracious to the undeserving. A gracious sign. We have also here a regular reminder, a regular reminder because this is not simply a single event took place, it's over, it's finished with. But Israel must never forget that deliverance. This is a day you are to commemorate, we read in verse 14. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. There is to be ongoing remembrance of what God has done. Now, the houses are not to be marked with blood again. That is not part of the ongoing uh, ceremony of the Passover. But that aside, Israel is to repeat the Passover year by year. And this becomes the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, seven special days, the, the very heart of Israel's uh, religious calendar. And the Lamb is central. The lamb is at the heart of all of this, the substitute. The lamb whose blood marked the houses so that God passed over 
judgment passed over. Israel is able to eat the Passover, literally because a lamb has been sacrificed. There's no feast without the sacrifice of the lamb. And that is why they're the Lord's people, because the lamb is sacrificed for them. And so year by year, they remember what the Lord has done. And this is very powerfully a covenant meal. You shouldn't miss that. It's there, particularly in verse 25. You might not notice it first, but it's there. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. Now, how did God promise the land to Israel? In his covenant. His covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 15. And repeated generation after generation. God gives the land by covenant. And when Israel are in the land and they're celebrating the Passover each year, they remember that the God of the covenant, the God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people, he is the one who brought them there, gave them the land, kept his promise, and fulfilled all that he had spoken of to Abraham and to the patriarchs. It's a covenant meal. And that, to a degree, explains the presence of the children It's the covenant family gather for this meal. And it is one of the children that asks the question. Of course, it becomes the ritual. What do these things mean? And then the head of the family will explain, basically explain the deliverance that Israel experienced by the blood of the Lamb. It was a gospel and a covenant occasion as God's people gathered year by year. And you see the different elements of the feast. The lamb, we have said, is central. There were the bitter herbs. And those were a reminder of bondage. The different bitter plants that would be eaten. They weren't meant to be pleasant. That wasn't the point. They were meant to be bitter. Why? Because they were a reminder of the bitterness of bondage. And as they would eat them, and try and swallow them, no doubt, They're reminded bondage was bitter. And surely it was a deterrent to going back. They were reminded every year sin is bitter. Do not go back. Why would you eat the bitterness again? So the bitter herbs remind them of their bondage. And it was a deterrent to ever thinking of returning. There were also the the little loaves of unleavened bread. Of course, that gave then the name to the feast, the feast of unleavened bread. And that too was crucial, unleavened. Because leaven often, not always, but often in Scripture, leaven is used as a symbol for sin. And when the leaven was cleared out in You see the instructions, and they're repeated, and they're very detailed. You think, why does God keep telling them, don't have leaven in your houses? Would once not do. But it is so important because leaven speaks of the old life. 
It speaks ultimately of sin. It speaks of the kind of life that was left behind when Israel were brought out of bondage. And to possess yeast, you see that, was to be cut off from Israel, from the people of God. It was a very serious thing. And there's great stress laid, verse 16, on a holy assembly. Something that befits the redeemed people of God. It's a holy assembly. Sin is to be cleared out, set aside, of course, by God's grace. And we know ultimately by the blood of a lamb. But of course, again, this is not simply a piece of ancient history. It's no coincidence that it was in the context of the Passover meal that the Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. There we have one of the two uh, meals, the two symbols uh, that the Lord has given the New Testament church, the two sacraments. And the Passover was an Old Testament sacrament. It spoke of God's work. It symbolized the working of God in grace and it brought blessing to those who partook in faith. And then we come to the fulfillment in the Lord's Supper. We have the records in three of the Gospels. And there you have the wine symbolizing the blood of the Lamb. It's not sprinkled on the doorposts of the houses, of course. It's consumed by God's people, but the symbol of blood is there. The bread signifying his body, full of rich significance, rooted in Passover and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's testimony in John 1.29. The Lamb of God. And there in the New Testament sacrament, we have the fulfillment of Passover. There we have the Lamb and the shed blood and the broken body. And we are reminded every time we sit at the Lord's table of what God has done and supremely of how the Lord has provided the substitute. And by the shed blood we are delivered from wrath and from judgment. It's God's work. This is our new covenant sacrament. This is the fulfillment of Passover. Passover gives pictures of what the Messiah would do. Messiah has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again. Salvation is provided in all its fullness. And now we have the memorial covenant meal. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, the Lamb will say. And here's the fulfillment. And so we're exhorted in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. Let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. They're the kind of person 
Each of us should be as we sit at the Lord's table. People of sincerity and truth who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and who are reminded at each sacramental occasion of that covenant that has been sealed by his blood that brings cleansing, forgiveness, eternal life and deliverance from wrath and judgment. A regular reminder. A gracious sign. A regular reminder. And then finally, a sweeping judgment. A sweeping judgment. We've already thought of what was coming upon Egypt that night. And at the end of the portion uh, we have read, we see the fulfillment uh, of what God has threatened. He says in verse 12, I will pass through. You'll go through the whole land. Verse 29, the fulfillment. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn. Those not sheltered by the blood. Those without faith in the God of the covenant. And judgment sweeps through Egypt. We thought last time and were reminded again, the Lord keeps his threats just as he keeps his promises. He's not a God to be trifled with. What he's told Pharaoh he would do way back before the first of the plagues ever came, chapter 4, verse 23. I will strike down your firstborn, God said, and now he does. He keeps his threat. In particular, we have a demonstration, a mighty demonstration of the Lord's power and authority. Verse 12 surely is the key, isn't it? I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Yes, there was judgment on the Egyptians. There's judgment on Pharaoh. But there's judgment on the gods of Egypt. To worship and to serve anyone other than the Lord is utter folly. The gods of Egypt in the nine previous plagues had been shown to be helpless, useless, empty, and anyone who is still worshipping them is the object of God's just judgment. And the result is despair. The wailing that goes up there in verse 30, as we saw before, it was the word that was used of Israel's wailing under their taskmasters and their sufferings in Egypt. Same word. But the Lord heard the wailing of Israel and his love and his grace and delivered them. No God hears the wailing of the Egyptians. There's nobody there. They're empty. The folly of worshipping, of serving any God other than the Lord. Only in the God who's revealed at the Passover, in the tenth plague and throughout the scriptures, only in the Lord is there salvation and deliverance from sin. Only the Lord has given the substitute. Only the Lord in the person of his Son is the substitute. And the shed blood brings forgiveness and salvation. Let us make sure we're sheltered under the blood 
of the Lamb of God. Because it is utter folly to try to shelter anywhere else. In him there is salvation and eternal life. Make sure you're sheltered under the blood of the Lamb.